Well, let's open together to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, and this is on the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. As we saw in chapter 1 of Ephesians, the riches of our redemption. We saw in chapter 2 of Ephesians, the reason for our redemption. And now in chapter 3, we see the revelation of our redemption, or we have also said the relationship of our redemption. And beginning here today in verses 1 to 13, we're going to look under the theme, the mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the revelation, the relationship of our redemption in him. Let's look together at these first 13 verses this morning. The Apostle Paul says, for this reason, that connects it with the previous chapter that we were reading. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that's what we've taken as the great theme of the entire book of Ephesians, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The Apostle Paul continues on from the end of chapter 2 to now to a wonderful work of praise. In fact, he begins almost with prayer and he, be he ends this first section with continued prayer. And then verses 14 to the end of the chapter through 21 on extending his prayer for spiritual strength and the admonition to all the saints of the great love with which we are loved with by God in Christ Jesus. This is a great section of scripture as we saw last week the dividing wall in chapter 2 has come down in verses 11 through 22. We notice here similar language that here he himself is our peace. We were brought near by the blood of Christ. And in chapter 2, in, in verse 14, he has made us both one. Who is that? Both Jew and Gentile. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
prior to Jesus Christ coming, there was Jew and there was Greek. There was Jew and their proselytes and the Gentiles. But now we see a third group that is emerging here, and this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the living, breathing body made up of both Jew and Gentile. Notice in verse 15, it says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, this would be works righteousness, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. There's a horizontal peace. Now, whether we are Jew or Greek, barbarian or Scythian, male nor female, slave nor free, we are one in Jesus Christ. And here he's expressing the healing, the tearing down of this wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments. Again, that doesn't mean that Jesus has done away with his law. He came not to abolish it, but to what? Fulfill it. And here he has fulfilled the entirety of the law as son of God, the perfect one, as son of man, the incarnate God. And he abolished the commandments expressed in ordinances. That is the penalty of the law, the judgment of the law. If we know Jesus Christ this morning as our Lord and Savior, as he has said here in verse 14, he himself is our peace. For seeing though we've been justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, irene, peace, prostathan, before God. We have peace before God. We are no longer under his judgment. We are no longer under his wrath. We are no longer under simply the sting and the penalty of the law. We have now been brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So those who were near the Jew, those who were afar off, who had no hope in this world without God, who had no covenant of promise, who were not part of the covenant Coven, uh, pardon me, commonwealth of Israel, alienated those from those times, separated from Christ, now have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our salvation. What a wonderful hope we have. Sinners in need of grace in our Lord brought both groups, both Jew and Gentile, a ministry of reconciliation. Notice in chapter 2, verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. This is what Pastor Ed, in conducting communion for us this morning, inviting us to partake of the Lord's Supper, that it is one time, one body, one Lord. He died once for all for our sin, not daily. He died one time, once for all, rose bodily from the grave. And so in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So he has taken us both to God. Now he has made us one body. It is through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice the Trinitarian work here in verse 18. For through him, that's Jesus Christ, we both have access. We'll see that word in our text this morning. That means those that could never approach God now have unfettered access to him in one spirit to the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Notice here, the foundation being the apostles 
and prophets. Notice the order there. If he was speaking primarily of Old Testament prophets, it would have said the prophets and apostles. But here he is speaking of the apostles and prophets. This is the 12 minus Judas plus the apostle Paul. Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, that's in Christ, that's an unusual phrase used here in Ephesians, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So notice this, we are now fellow citizens, members of the same household, of the same structure, of a holy temple, and a dwelling place by God through the Holy Spirit. There is no more physical temple in Israel. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God and the Son are our temple, according to John in Revelation. And we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the same household in God. The Lord has removed the hostility and brought us into one family, of which now Paul calls in Galatians 6, the Israel of God. We saw this, didn't we, last year as we studied Romans 9 through 11, getting what it is, the Israel of God. He's not speaking there about national heritage. He's not speaking about birthright. He's speaking about those who are part of the Israel of God by the new birth of both Jew and Gentile, elect saints from all eternity past, called now at this time in Christ Jesus. So here, is it any wonder that the apostle's heart is just full and overflowing with praise and prayer and adoration and glory for the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he has done. Now think of this. Paul benefited on this transaction immensely. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 9? Again, just by way of introduction, I want you to see these beginning days of the conversion of the apostle Paul. As you know, he was making his way on the road to Damascus. He had asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that men and women and children, even who belonged to the way, might he bring them bound to Jerusalem. Paul was the leading persecutor of the church. He went on his way. He approached Damascus, but the Lord had a different plan for him, didn't he? Suddenly, as you'll see here in uh, Acts chapter 9, and in verse 3, as he was on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, this is what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1.24. He says, we're filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. It didn't mean there was anything lacking in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he is saying is if Jesus were still in the flesh with us today, they would be persecuting him. But because we are his people, we are his church, we are his children, they will persecute us. And this is what our Lord is saying to Saul. Why are you persecuting me? All persecution done to his people is against the name of the Lord. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And the men traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Wouldn't that be amazing? Hearing the voice, seeing no one. The Lord appeared physically to the apostle Paul, but he veiled his presence only to the apostle. 
And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. He was stricken blind. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. And the Lord said, here in verse 10, notice, to a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, thank you. I will be obedient to your every whim and bidding. Is that what was said? Notice what Ananias says. He says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Parenthetically, and by the way, I'm one of them. He had to go visit the John Gotti of his day, the Nero of his day. And he said he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. In other words, Lord, why are you sending me to Saul? He's going to do me great harm. He was terrified. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Notice that sweeping group of people. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Key phrase. The Apostle Paul was the chief persecutor of the children of Israel, of anyone who named the name of Christ, of both Jew and Gentile. But yet now he was going to suffer. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. His father was a Pharisee. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin, a Jew above Jews. In terms of the law, he was given absolute blamelessness in terms of his ability to handle it. He received, as it were, a doctorate in the law, a doctorate in theology. But yet Paul was a Roman citizen. And he was an he was there on the bidding of Rome to persecute Christians. A Jew, but a Roman citizen. And when Ananias departed, he went into the house. His brother saw the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came and sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. Now there's the conversion of the Apostle Paul. A persecutor among the church, a Roman citizen, doing the bid of Rome, persecuting these Christians. But yet Paul was a Jew of very Jews. But notice this here what happened. In the end of verse 19 it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, notice the the instantaneous conversion and then proclamation of him being a testifier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He proclaimed Jesus. Where? In the synagogues. Unthinkable. Unthinkable. Paul, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee, would go in now to the synagogue, into that religious place, and he was now proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God immediate conversion immediate testimony out of the newness of his life and it says and all who heard him were amazed and says is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name and has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus 
was the Christ. Notice the response. He was a Pharisee, the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, had a doctorate in Jewish law and theology. It says, when many days had passed, look what his friends, the Jews, plotted to what? Kill him. Kill him. Listen, if you become a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it may cost you your friends, it may cost you your family, it may cost you the most intimate of alliances. Those that said we love you may plot to kill you. And it says their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And notice this, we'll skip down to verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. People were hearing of this conversion of the Apostle Paul. Now, by way still of introduction this morning, I want you to see a parallel passage here. And let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 28. And then we'll head into our text for the time remaining in Ephesians chapter 3. So now you understand the Apostle Paul's backdrop here. His ministry. He is called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But everywhere he went, he first ministered to his own countrymen in the synagogue. Roman 9 begins that way. His fellow kinsmen, the Israelites, he had a burden for them. He was disheartened for them that they had rejected Messiah. But here he had gone faithfully. Peter was set apart to be a, an apostle to the Jew. Paul was set apart to be an apostle to the Gentile. But yet still, Peter's heart was convicted in Acts chapter 10 when the Lord told him that what is unclean in his sight is no longer unclean, meaning that the Gentile may partake of the gospel. Peter witnessed to Gentiles who later responded. Paul was sent as an apostle to the Gentile, but he faithfully ministered to his kingsmen, his countrymen, fellow Israelites, the Jew. And he says here in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 28, really we'll read to the end of the chapter, verse 29. Here is Paul's ministry to them. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Notice that. I rejoice in my sufferings. He was being severely persecuted. Epaphras, this faithful pastor in the city of Colossae, traveled a thousand miles to meet the Apostle Paul. He was under Roman arrest. And he sends back by letter through Epaphras, that faithful shepherd. He says, I can rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. The greatest persecutor of the church became the greatest pastor of the church. And the one that was wreaking havoc in Jerusalem now was suffering the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body. That is the church. Paul says, of which I became a minister to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, here's that word again, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. He says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here we have a, 
a little insight of what that mystery is. Now Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory for who? The Gentile. Him we proclaim, Paul says, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. My brothers and sisters, that's how you can pray for me. That's how you can pray for our fellow elders and deacons. We have marching orders here from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the writer of all scripture, and he gives the wonderful work of pastoral ministry in this verse. He says we are to warn everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. That's applied truth. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. No one arrives mature in the Lord. You're born again, but you're a young babe in Christ, and you need to be discipled. You need to mature. You need to understand the Word of God. And this is why we have various ministries at our church to encourage you in your faith and your walk with the Lord, to see you built up in Jesus Christ. We come together for prayer. We have cross-life gatherings in home. We meet here for Sunday school at the 9 o'clock hour with women's and men's ministries. And we meet for worship. What is it for? So that we can present everyone mature in Christ. Growing up in mature in Jesus. Sound in the faith. And Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that it powerfully works within me. It's a work of grace by the working of God in Paul. But the aim was to proclaim Christ, him crucified, to proclaim Jesus as Lord, encouraging, warning, instructing everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom to present everyone mature in Christ. That's the work of, of the church, my beloved, the work of the pastor with any church. Listen, no matter what else a pastor does, if he's not discipling people, if he's not faithfully preaching the word of God, whatever else he does, it doesn't matter, does it? So let's now go to Ephesians chapter 3 as we come to our text this morning. Just three great realities I want to point out to you this morning. The mystery of the gospel in verses 1 to 6, and then the ministry of the mystery of the gospel in verses 7 to 10, and then the motivation of the ministry of the mystery of the gospel in verses 11 to 13. Let's look at number one here this morning, the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. Notice this, Paul says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Let's stop there for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says something similar. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul is not ashamed of his change. He's an ambassador in chains. He's faithful to be carrying on the work of the gospel. I love this because we might find ourselves in difficult circumstances being tried for the faith. You don't necessarily have to be in prison. Paul was a prisoner for Christ. Notice the influx of the sovereignty of God here. He was not a prisoner of Rome or for Rome or for Nero. He was not even a prisoner of Satan. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. 
God is sovereign, Christ is sovereign, and he was even sovereign over the incarceration of this wonderful brother in Christ, the Apostle Paul. And he says, I'm a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. On behalf of you Gentiles. In Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about his imprisonment again. And in, verses, in verse 10, he says this, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? He just said, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what I have preached you, let him be accursed, anathema. What does it mean? Eternally damned. Powerful. He says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. He says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? There wasn't one politically correct bone in the apostle's whole body. Aren't you glad? He was there for the ministry of Jesus Christ and for the gospel to be proclaimed. He says, or am I trying to please man? Listen. A false teacher will always try to please man. Luke 6, 26 says, Beware when all men speak well of you as they did to the false prophets of old. False teachers depend on the flattery of men. False teachers depend on their PR campaign being viewed as a healthy thing. False teachers want all men everywhere to speak well of them. False teachers believe their own carefully cultivated press releases. Not so with Paul. He had one objective, and that was to please Christ. He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Underline that, beloved. If you're going to step into ministry, if you're going to step into full-time Christian service, and by the way, every Christian that truly knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Everyone that professes the name of Jesus Christ is in full-time ministry. So Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. I am not trying to be a man-pleaser. I am trying to please an audience of one. I live for the approval of heaven. I live for the ap applause of heaven. I do not live for the applause of men is the wonderful hymn, Be Thou My Vision, as we sang last week, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always. You see, our future praise will come from the Lord. So Paul says in this life, I'm delighted to be a prisoner for Christ. For this reason, for the gospel, for the tearing down of the wall of hostility, for the new man of both Jew and Gentile, now no longer Jew, no longer Gentile, brought into one building, one citizenry, one temple, and that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for your sake on behalf of you Gentiles. Here's the mystery of the gospel, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. You see, this was a trustworthy thing. Paul was shown graciousness by the, 
by the wonderful hope of the gospel because he acted in ignorance. Paul considers himself the least of the apostles but the chief of all sinners in 1 Timothy 1. This word stewardship he uses, some of your translations might say dispensation. It's a stewardship. It's used of the management of a household, the caretaker, the one who is to give oversight to one's home. It's a stewardship, management. It's taking care of another's goods or services or properties. It's the administration, the office of a manager or overseer. And Paul says this profound dispensation, this profound work of stewardship, being a caretaker, as it were, a steward of God's grace that was given to me for you. May I encourage you to just turn with me, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. I want you to see this stewardship because it's so wonderful how the Apostle Paul was given this charge in love to have a sincere faith and a good conscience and a pure heart in his service before the Lord. Notice this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. He says, Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Go down to verse 12 here. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Paul's not shy to tell truthfully of his biography previous to knowing Christ. He says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There's the gospel of whom I'm the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who to believe him for eternal life. See, there's the heart of a true man of God. There's the heart of a true servant of God. Paul deals with this stewardship again in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's go there together. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul coming out of 1 Corinthians 3, he's saying these believers in Corinth were fleshly. Were fleshly. He says you're being carnal. You do not have the glory of God. Why? He says, some were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. Sectarianism. They were wanting to split the church based on who they were following in personality. And Paul says, was it Paul that was crucified for you? Was it Cephas? Were any of us crucified for you? Christ alone is the true foundation. He's the one who's the master builder. We are simply stewards of this. And so when he comes to 1 Corinthians 4.1, he's confronting their carnality, their sectarian fleshly beliefs who want to divide the church of personality. Let's bring it to our day. I am of MacArthur. I am of Sproul. I am of Piper. Just pick who you like to listen to. Paul says, I'll have nothing to do with it. 
Man's fame and applause of me means nothing. He gave no inference to that kind of sectarian praise whatsoever. In fact, he, d- he dashes it to the ground and he says in 1 Corinthians 4.1, he says, if you want to regard me in any way, here's how you can regard me as a servant of Christ, a steward of the mysteries of God. There's that word. And moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Paul smashes that kind of sectarian divisiveness to absolute smithereens. He says, you want to regard me as something? He doesn't even mention himself as an apostle, as a pastor, as one who wrote 14 of the 27 New Testament books, as one who is a missionary, as one who is a teacher of God's word. He says, you want to acknowledge me as something, he brings it down to one word, a servant, a huperetes of Jesus Christ. He uses a term there for servanthood that depicts himself as the third level rower in an old galley ship of a Roman, of a Roman sort. He says, put me as a third level oarsman. Literally, the deeper in the hull of the ship you went, the deeper that your oar would have to go into the water. Paul says, and, and as he is going into the deepest part of the hull of the ship, he was away from the applause of men. His oar was in the toughest part of the water. He goes, you want to regard me as something? Regard me as a servant, a third-level oarsman in a Roman galley ship. Regard me as one who wants to put my oar in the toughest part of the water. And brother and sister, he says, I will row faithfully for the gospel and the cause of Jesus Christ. I desire none of men's praise. I want to be a servant of Christ. Listen, if you want to be a servant of Christ, you, not, you cannot be a star among men. Impossible. The stage is a poor place to live out the Christian faith. You cannot be a star among men and still be considered a servant of Christ. Notice he says, I'm a steward, caretaker, manager. Notice what he's a steward of, the mysteries of God. We saw one insight into that mystery in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're going to see others in Ephesians. And he says, if you want to be marked by something that's required of stewards, Not that they're successful, but that they're faithful. They're faithful. Listen, we're not looking at our congregation here for the most talented. What we are looking for are faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Faithfulness trumps talent any day. Gifts are another thing. Those are given by the Holy Spirit. When I was on staff out at MacArthur's church, I was honored to serve with John for a season. And the ministry that I was given charge over was called the Grace Bridge. It met on Wednesday evening. And the first night we met, we had about 1,800 people that came. 25% were from Grace. 75% were from the community. It was an outreach, a midweek service. We were going through the book of Colossians to begin with on the preeminence of Jesus. Each of us had a group of seminarians that we were to disciple of about 14 or so. And each of those dear men of God, they're dear brothers in Christ, but they were asking me, they said, Steve, when can we teach at Grace Bridge? This is after the first week. When can we teach? When can we preach? And I said, well, listen, I'm the only man in the entire world 
that Dr. MacArthur said, brother, if you can't make it on Wednesday night, I'll pitch it for you. I wanted to stay home every Wednesday night and just hear John. I was the only one that had John as a pastor who said, I'd like to get in front of those kids. I'd like to get in front of those college-age and young adults. What a, what a blessed servant of God he is. And I said, listen, apart from that, there's 45 elders on staff there. So I said, we've got John. If I'm, if I'm sick and John can't make it, then all of those 45 elders will get a chance to teach. And I said, apart from that, we have eight gifted men on senior staff. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. If I'm sick and can't teach, if John is sick and can't teach, if all 45 elders are sick and can't teach, if eight of the senior staff can't teach and all the professors at the seminary can't teach, I'll be happy to call one of you seminarians and you can preach then. And this one guy looked at me kind of chuckling. He says, so you're trying to tell me something. And I said, yes. I said, I tell you what, I'll let you teach next week if you can tell me what you're called to do in the body of Christ. He goes, I'm called to be a preacher. I said, think about it. I'll give you a week. If you can get back to me next week and have the right answer, I'll let you preach next week at Grace Bridge. I said, you can share that with the other seminarians as well. So they thought about it. They kept coming to me in my office during the week. They said, we're called to be a pastor. I said, no, sorry. Try again. We're called to be a preacher. No, a gifted teacher of God's word. No, we're called to be a, a really a world-class exegete to interpret the Greek and Hebrew. And I said, no, that's part of ministry, but that's not what you're called to be. And at the end of the week, they said, brother, we have come up with every biblical explanation. Why is it? What is this a trick question? I said, it's not a trick question. It's right here in 1 Corinthians 4.1. Paul says, you want to regard me as something. Regard me as a servant. What do we need in the body of Christ? We need servants. Servants, and that means sacrificial life. Sacrificial life. Stewards of the mysteries, that's the gospel. And a steward must be found faithful. In Ephesians chapter 3, this is what he's saying. You have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul was a steward of God's grace, a steward of the gospel here for them. Now look at in verse 3, he says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. He didn't invent this. He didn't come up with his own little Christianette for sermonettes kind of things, sermonettes for Christianettes. He says, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery here is, does not mean mysterious. The mystery here means a truth that was hidden in ages past and now has been made known. What is the mystery? It's the mystery of Christ the mystery that both Jew and Gentile now would be blended into a third group, the church of the living God. Notice in verse 6, the mystery is that Gentiles are three things. Notice this, fellow heirs, fellow members of the same body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Level ground. It's not the Jew is placed higher and the Gentile is a second-class citizen. Fellow heirs, fellow members of the same body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. How does that happen? Through the gospel. Here's the mystery. 
It says, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations that has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. Again, notice the order of calling their apostles and prophets by the spirits. Who would we say is a prophet, a New Testament prophet? Can you think of any? We've talked about a few here through the years. One is, uh, comes to mind is Agabus. Agabus, he was a New Testament prophet. He was not a writer of scripture. His prophecies were not inscripturated, as it were, to be obeyed, but they were words of the Lord given to the church, warning them of a famine to come or warning of the persecution of the Apostle Paul. He was a New Testament prophet. In those words, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, they would have to be weighed. They would have to be tested. We also see in the New Testament that Silas is also mentioned as a New Testament prophet. And then we see in an inscripturated prophecy, we studied it for two years, the Apostle John says that this is a word of prophecy, the entire apocalypse, the book of Revelation is a word of prophecy. And so we see that the church was founded by the apostles and the prophets. It's been revealed to them by the Spirit. Again, this is not considering Old Testament prophets, but yet holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so here we see this mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the same body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. By the way, that word partaker there is metakos, and it means taking that which is common to one but foreign to yourself. Listen, all that we had as Gentiles in common is that we were cut off from Christ. We were not heirs of the promises given to Israel through the covenants of promise, through all the wonderful ordinances and the wonderful covenants of the Old Testament. We were cut off, but now we have been made metakos of the promise in Christ Jesus. It's something, in other words, that didn't, came, that didn't come naturally to us. We were adopted by the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ to be partakers in Christ through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful to the Lord for this? This is the wonderful new place that we have in him. Secondly, this morning, and I just want to mention it to you. We'll look at these next two points next week in detail. But here, the ministry of the mystery of the gospel. Number two, the ministry of the mystery of the gospel. Notice this in verses 7 to 11. Paul says, of this gospel, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. This isn't something that he did of his own free volition. He was made a minister of the gospel. Go with me, please, just to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I want you to see this. Paul was called by a holy calling, not according to his own works, but the purpose of grace which was granted in Christ Jesus in times past eternal. This is the great work that we see of the gospel for any of us here this morning, beloved. And so he says... In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 10, he says, In which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. That's incarnation, who katargeo abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, he thoroughly destroyed 
death and its sting. It has no efficacy in the life of the believer anymore. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Notice this in verse 11. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Here Paul was that early pastor to the church at Ephesus along with Timothy and Silvanus. And he says, I was made these things. And so in Ephesians 3, 7, he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. On that road to Damascus, as we read a few minutes ago, that Paul was arrested, spiritually incarcerated, knocked down to the ground, blinded for three days so that he could one day see correctly. Paul's vision had to be corrected. He had spiritual cataracts. He could not see right. He was a persecutor of the church. But as a Pharisee, he thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. And the Lord had to appear to Paul and sanction him away for three plus years in that Arabian desert, seeing him discipled. And then he was fit for ministry. Paul was made a minister of this mystery of the gospel. Christ in them, the hope of glory. The mystery that Gentiles are fellow heirs. The mystery that Christ came to give himself for us, partakers of the promise of Jesus Christ. And so he says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, Paul, I want you to know, uses a Greek word found only here in the entirety of Scripture. It's a new word that the Holy Spirit invented just for him. It reads this way, To me, though I am the very leaster of all the saints. Paul was not just least, he was the absolute least. He says, I am the leaster of all the saints. This grace was given to me. Why? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, here it is again, of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What a passage of scripture. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is referring to the angels. Do you realize that this is what Paul says is part of the glory of what is going on in ministry within the church? In 1 Peter 1.12, it says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, these things into which angels long to look. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that women must have a head covering. He's referring to their, to their submissiveness to their husbands. And he says they do this for the sake of the angels. Angels look into the work that is going on in the body of Christ. Angels long to look into the things the good news being preached by the Holy Spirit, these things are foreign to the angels. Why? They didn't need to be redeemed. Jesus did not die for angels. He did not come to give help to angels, as Hebrews chapter 2 tells us. He came to give help to the sons of Abraham. 
to those that needed a Savior. And so Paul is saying here to these precious saints in Ephesus, he says, I was made a minister. I was your servant made to proclaim the good news. This mystery that was hidden for ages has now been made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This manifold wisdom of the gospel, it's something that brings glory in heaven. Luke 15 says, all that there is more joy in heaven over one who repents than 99 who need no repentance. Rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is Paul's ministry. Called by God, working according to his power, according to the grace of God. He was the leaster of all the saints, but yet he was called to the Gentiles. And we'll end with this phrase this morning in verse 8 of chapter 3. He was called in Gentile, to the Gentiles to serve and to explain to them the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I just want to name these verses for you. In Ephesians chapter 1, 7 and 8, it says, In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of the trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 3, or further down, that in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. This is just the unsearchable riches of Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 16, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. In Romans eleven thirty three, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. In 1 Corinthians 1, 30, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, But as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared to those that love him. Unfathomable riches. We cannot plummet the depth of riches in this lifetime. No wonder Paul says in Colossians 2, 1 to 3, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those at Laodicea, and for those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all, to, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Even the psalmist says in Psalm 31, 19, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, O Lord, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Beloved, this is the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul became a minister and has the ministry of this mystery of the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory. As we conclude this morning, I want to say to you this morning, as every person here listening in our church or even by way of the internet, if you know Jesus Christ this morning, 
you have a ministry of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see yourself that way this morning? Not a pastor, not an elder, not a deacon. Do you see yourself as a minister of the gospel? Every one of you this morning is called to be a minister of the gospel. And I just want to lovingly challenge you this morning. Are you using your spiritual gift or gifts for the call of Christ, time, talent, and treasure? Are you using it all to be a witness for him? No matter what circumstance you find yourself, we have so many varied professions. Some of you are retired this morning but all are servants of Christ, stewards of the mystery, and a steward must be found faithful. Are you using your gifts, abilities, talent, time, treasure, as a ministry of the mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul is the great example to us in scripture, but this applies to all of us here. You are fellow heirs, fellow members of the same body, fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. May we use our gifts and abilities given to us by the Holy Spirit, our time and our treasure, all of it used as a ministry of the mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our hearts and minds in a word of prayer as we close. And as we do for this morning, Pastor Ed said at the end of the communion time, he said to use this time to get our business right with the Lord, to use it as a time of confession, use it as a time of dedication to the Lord. I want to ask you the same thing this morning. Will you use this as a moment to say, Lord, I've never thought of myself as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought that was reserved for the lead pastor. I thought that was reserved for only those who are elders or deacons. But can I remind you, this is to every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made you a minister of the gospel, a servant of Christ, a steward of the mysteries. Paul says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. He says, you hold this earthen clay jar, you hold in it the treasure. It's the gospel. So that the excellency and power of it is not from us, but from God. We are jars of clay. That's all any of us are this morning. Ministers, servants, jars of clay, bond servants, caretakers of the gospel, caretakers of the mysteries of Christ. Would you just take a moment and say, Lord, use me. It's wonderful to see the Lord use other people. Oh, but what joy it is to say, Lord, thank you for using me this week to touch a life, to communicate your truth, to bring to others your great gospel. If that's your heart this morning, I would like for you to say, Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me. You may feel weak this morning. You may go through physical suffering or ailment. You might feel like this morning, Brother Steve, I'm not as sharp as I once was. I'm getting older. It doesn't matter. Whatever place you find yourself in, 
Would you say, Lord, here am I. Send me. With all my faults, with all my shortcomings, I want to be used as a minister for the gospel. Use me this day to tell others of the unsearchable riches and goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take a moment before we close in prayer. O Lord, the joy of our hearts are not found in goods and things that can easily fade away. They're not found in the treasures of this world, but in the treasure of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. O Lord, this mystery that was held off in ages past now came 2,000 years ago, Christ in us. The dividing wall of hostility was torn down. And now we are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of this mystery in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Lord, this morning we have attorneys, housewives, policemen, executives, administrators, teachers, detectives, carpenters, gardeners, accountants, doctors, nurses. We have all kinds this morning. Businessmen, retired, young. Lord, however you've gifted them, may they see their life from this moment on as a minister of the mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ, servants. And Lord, we know a bondservant in that day was marked by the master not to do that own bidding that the servant wanted to do, but to do whatever the master wanted to do. And so, Lord, we would ask this morning, not our will but yours, not our liking but yours. Use us. As Paul said, I'm a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ. Use us in any circumstance we find ourselves in, Lord, for the glory of the kingdom. Not weighing heavily on our inadequacies, our shortcomings, our failings, but magnifying that you would use such weakness to do your perfect work of ministry. Why do we have such confidence, as Paul would later explain? It's not because of us, but because above all, you reign. You are Lord and King and prophet and priest, Son of God and Son of Man. You are the perfect Lamb of God, the first time who came to take away the sin of the world and now will be returning as a warrior king to bring all under subjection to your sovereign holy will. So, Lord, we close this morning saying you're above all. You're greater than all. Even the Apostle Paul said that the greatest work 
was to know Christ in all things. So, Father God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for letting us know of your great work of grace in our lives. May we faithfully serve you, for it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.